This is LEC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. I want you to open your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 2. We are in what we're calling 40 Days of Philippians. And over this period of time, we are looking at the book of Philippians as part of our desire to understand the kind of life that God wants us to live in the world as we know it today. The world that we live in is a place of unrest and political upheaval and and, uh, civil discord. And there probably hasn't been a time in my lifetime when we have been more polarized in our country. And I believe that the book of Philippians teaches us how God wants us to live uh, in that time. And uh, and I, I spent some time this morning thinking about this idea that God doesn't need you and I to do stuff for Him. You know, we have a tendency sometimes to relegate our faith practice to doing stuff. Read your Bible, go to church. No, God doesn't need you to do stuff. He wants you to be something. He wants you to be a disciple. He wants you to be a witness in a world that is lost without God. He doesn't need, He can do anything that needs to be done. He just wants you to be. And and I think that's where chapter two is coming from because in fact, I I just want to give you the disclaimer that as we dig into chapter two, it gets a little mean. It gets a little tight. In fact, Paul is going after unity and he gets right into the meetup. It gets right into the, the heart of the reason that sometimes we struggle to be the body of Christ that God wants us to be. So I want us to read beginning with Philippians chapter two. We're going to read four verses and then we'll come back and pick up verses through eight in a moment. But let's look in Philippians chapter two, beginning with verse one. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Excuse me, I missed my... Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. I want to talk on this topic so others don't have to. So others don't have to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're about to do in this room today. Your word is powerful. It's strong. And I pray today that it will accomplish what you have sent it to this place to accomplish today. Let every heart be open. Let there be an unusual ability to focus and concentrate right now. 
And may your word be strong in every person's life. And, and the needs that are in this room, God, you know them. Before we ever walked in here, you knew who was going to walk into this. I believe that this is ordained by the Lord. And I pray, God, that your will is accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For a long time, I have struggled with this theological dilemma. Why doesn't God take us to heaven the moment that we get saved? It just would make so much sense to me that the moment that you gave your life to Christ, the moment that you made that commitment to the Lord, that God would just take you to glory. I mean, would, doesn't that make sense to anybody else besides me? It would just seem that that would be so logical that you, you make a commitment, you, you accept the Lord Jesus, you receive the forgiveness of your sins, Bam, straight to glory. Now, it might change the way we do altar calls. Because you'd say, now listen, those of you that want to be saved, come to the altar, but bring your purse, you're not going back. It, 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 but it, it doesn't work that way. And, and I, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. And one day, I, I was writing this book that was titled, years ago, it was entitled, A Life Worth Living. And I read this verse that they're going to put on the screen that was Paul's writing to Timothy. And when I read it, I realized the answer to my question is right here. Paul writes to Timothy and says, this is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience, even with the worst of sinners, then they would realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And it occurred to me, that's exactly why does it take us to heaven when we get saved? Because he leaves us here to be living demonstrations and examples to an unbelieving world of what it looks like when somebody commits their life to Jesus Christ. Years ago, I used to get this uh, email. It would come through my box. You know those viral emails are. They just keep coming. No matter how many times you delete them, they just keep coming. Well, this one just kept showing up in my box and it was a, it was a cartoon or it was a picture of a woman the story of a woman who is in her car. She is the second of three cars waiting for the light to turn green. And when the light turns green, the car in front of her doesn't move out as fast as she wants. So she starts honking the horn and, and, and waving her hands and, and screaming obscenities and making all kind of obscene gestures. The third car is a police officer. Behind her, he's watching this outburst. So he just turns his light on and with his microphone says, ma'am, get out of the car. She gets out of the car screaming, what did I do? What did I do? Why are you making me get out of the car? He says, it's really simple. When the light turned green and you didn't, she didn't move as fast as you wanted, you started screaming and acting so bizarre. I couldn't help but notice the sign on your bumper that said, in case of the rap." car will be uh, unoccupied, so I am assuming you must have stolen this car. But isn't it true 
that so many times we don't think about the fact that we are demonstrating to the world who Jesus is by the life that we live. In fact, people are making decisions about Jesus based on what they know about you. Now that ought to scare the bejesus out of us. That people are deciding whether or not they're going to choose Jesus based on their relationship with us. What they see in us. What we act like. How we respond. How we treat people. How we love each other. And that kind of understanding is exactly what Paul is trying to say. That the way we live and the way that we conduct ourselves is a visible demonstration to an unbelieving world. Here's another thought that will keep you awake at night. Is there anybody in my family that is not serving God because they lost hope that Jesus could make a difference because of what they see in me? What they do with me? Because the way that we live among our family is such a powerful witness to those who do not know the Lord Jesus. So in this passage, let's just walk through this passage very gently, but notice it's going to get strong. It begins with four questions. There are four questions at the very beginning that you have to see. And these all, each of these questions implies a very logical and reasonable relationship between verse one and verses two and three. So if you're looking at your Bible, you'll be able to see the four questions in verse one are directly connected to the relationships with verse two and three. Here are the four questions. The encouragement from belonging to Christ. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Anybody say yes to that? Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Yes. Say that with me. Yes. I was making sure you weren't asleep. Is there any comfort from His love? Yes. Is there any Fellowship together in the spirit. Yes. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Yes. At least they should be. Four questions. Any encouragement? Any love? Any fellowship? Any compassion? Now, like I said, these are logically and reasonably connected to the next two verses. It's kind of like this. If a dad says to his son, if you're my son and I'm your dad and you're seven years old and I'm the head of this household, go clean your room. There's a reasonable and logical connection to each of those. Well, here are these four questions and the four logical connections that Paul says we should make as believers in expressing ourselves to an unbelieving world. Here's the first. Live in agreement with one another. That we live in agreement with one another, that people who do not know Jesus, when they look at us, they see that we live in agreement with one another. You know, one of the most embarrassing things in the world to me is for people in the community to know that there's a fuss going on down at the church. 
Anybody else get embarrassed about that? Right here in our own community, not too long ago, the, you know, word got out. There was a rumor about, you know, and it just is embarrassing. People would ask me about it, and I'd say, I, I don't have an opinion. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. But Paul says, if we are believers and we are enjoying this relationship with Christ, that we live in agreement. Now, what, is, what does it mean to live in agreement? Well, it doesn't mean that we agree on everything. I mean, just look around the room. There's a lot of disagreement in what, what is fashionable and what isn't. Everybody dresses a little differently. Everybody looks a little, we don't have to agree on everything. What it means is, is that we agree on the things that are truly important. And we refuse to get distracted and fight about the things that aren't important. When I was the overseer, or actually when I was working in the state office one time, we had to go to a church to settle a dispute over the fact that they were playing the drums during Amazing Grace. Because if you play, apparently, if you play the drums during Amazing Grace, that turns a great hymn of the church into a charismatic worship song. And I'll never forget the leader said, I'm going to be honest with you, that kind of ignorance cannot sneak up on you. We'll let that linger right there just a second. We agree on the things that really matter. You know, it's amazing grace whether you play the drums or not. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so what we decide is that we will be in agreement over the things that matter. We will get along with one another and we will not allow ourselves to be in disagreement over stuff that doesn't matter. Here's the second one. He says you carry buckets of love and compassion for one another. In fact, wasn't it Jesus that said that people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love each other? It's the love that we have for each other that is the distinguishable identifier that we are a part of the body of Christ. In a church where we love each other, we pray sincerely for the well-being of each other, we celebrate the success of each other. Here's the third. He says we practice unity as a matter of identity. We practice unity. What does that look like? Well, it means we don't use our tongue to destroy one another with our words. We don't participate in conversations that eat away at the unity of our body. We, we recognize that we are one body, one faith, one people with one Lord, and we are practicing unity together as a matter of telling this world, there is a God who makes a difference in your life. Here's the fourth one. And remember, the tied to those four questions at the top. It's the fourth identifier. Paul said that if you have encouragement in Christ, if you share in His love, if you have fellowship in the Spirit, if your heart is tender and compassionate, you'll recognize these things. Number four, you get behind the mission and vision of the cross. Paul says you'll see the bigger picture. You are united in spirit and purpose. Because the purpose of the body, the purpose of the believer is to draw attention to Jesus. The bigger picture is not an agenda of me. It's not an agenda of you. It's not even an agenda of this building. It is the agenda that Jesus is Lord and we proclaim him to a world that is lost. 
It is the mission of the kingdom to win people that are lost and bring them to Jesus Christ. And so in a church that is unified in spirit and purpose, you will see that the agenda does not get lost. But in fact, winning lost people are the most important things. If it were true that there is such a church like that anywhere on the face of the earth, what would it look like? Well, if you just go down three, you'll see it right there in front of you. He says, in a church like that, you're not going to be selfish. He says, don't be selfish. It means that we don't make everything about us. We don't make it about us. We don't make it about what we want. He says, don't try to impress other people. In other words, don't resist the temptation to be competitive. That I have to do better than you. That I have to have more than you. That I have to be more impressive than you. Have you ever known anybody that just could not let you have the last word? Don't point, please. I used to know a man... I mean, I still know him, but I'm just not close to him anymore. I used to know a man that I don't care if you were buying loaf bread for three cents a loaf, he knows a place you can buy it for two. No matter how cheap, I would say, I just bought gas over here for $1.14. He knows a place where they're selling it for $1.10. That, that's what Paul's saying. It's not important that I'm better than you. It's not, I'm going to resist this whole spirit of trying to compete with what you have and what you are. I accept you for who you are. You accept me. The value of my life is not contained in the things that I possess. Don't try to impress people. He said, be humble. And you know, if, if, you're, if you've been watching online, the 40, Philippians, you know, I talked about this. Humility is one of those things that's so elusive because we don't actually know how to define it. We know what it looks like. We know when we see a humble person. But if I were to say to you, how, do, how, how can you be humble? You, I, I don't know. It's just, it's very difficult for us to describe it. Here's one of the best definitions I've ever heard. It is a refusal, my refusal, to overestimate my contribution. It's a refusal to overestimate my contribution. To not try to present myself as the answer, or the know-it-all, or the person with all the answers, or the best, or the big, or the brightest. It means that because of my relationship with Christ, I will take no glory for myself. Don't try to impress people. Be humble. Then he says, think of others as better. Now that's a hard one. Because we're all about us, aren't we? We're all about what we want. And Paul says, the right relationship is for to think about other people as better. Better. All pastoral? 
you're a better man than I am. Don't grin. You are. I mean, you know you are, right? That's why you're grinning right now, isn't it? I mean, there's no question in your mind you're a better man than me. But isn't that okay? Is it okay in my spirit if you're a better man than I am? You're a better person. I'm going to be the best me that I can be, but I don't have to be better than you. I don't have to drive myself to get ahead of you. The right spirit, the right attitude says, I can think of you as better than me. Wow, wouldn't that turn the world upside down? And then he finishes by saying, look out for the needs of others as much as you look out for your own needs. That's one of the things I love about our church. If you're visiting with us today, you're in a church that practices that all the time. In fact, there are probably over 700 pairs of socks out there that we've been collecting the last few weeks because we're going to bless the homeless ministry here in our community with a 1,000 pairs of socks, we hope, by next week. Think about the needs of others. I, I, when, when Billy Walter started talking to us about Socktober, I, I was sitting there, well, first of all, I don't even wear socks. See, I don't, I don't wear socks. It drives Betty Stinson crazy. I don't wear socks. You know, you know how many pair of socks she buys me? She does. She'll hand, she'll hand these to me. She said, it just drives me crazy that you're up there with socks on. Because I don't want people to think my pastor's poor. Well, I just told you I'm not as good as Paul Passerell. But when we first started talking about Socktober, Seriously, man, I, I didn't even think, I, I got to think, I don't think about socks that much. I don't wear them. But if you're homeless in a cold environment, boy, socks could really be important, couldn't they? Think about others and their needs as much as you think about your own. Jesus said it like this, a cold cup of water given in my name will not go unrewarded. Expressions of kindness with no desire to receive any return on your own. Simply giving for the purpose of giving. Here's one. Here's one. We're starting to head into the holidays. Here's one right here. You can have my place in line. I went down this week to get my uh, driver's license renewed. And by the way, if you haven't done that in a while, get ready. It's a whole new world. I'm a card-carrying member of the Homeland Security Anti-Terrorism New World Order, what I am. But we're standing in line out there, and along comes a little woman struggling with her walker to get in line to get the top. You can have my place in line. Several people, you can have my place in line. See, that's what I'm saying. Thinking about the needs of others as well as your own needs. Can you think of anybody in your life right now that gets all those right? You think of anybody that, that you say that, I know somebody that's, it's every one of those things. 
The challenge and the problem for us is that more often than not, here's what we see and hear in the world where we exist. We hear statements like this. I need to do what is right for me. This is my life. I should be able to live it as I want to. Or what about this? I'm not really interested in what happens to other people, but I do care what happens to me and my family. What about those crazy images of people fighting over trinkets and toys at Christmas? In a world like ours, is it even reasonable to expect that someone could live the way that Paul expects? Suggest. Well, in fact, I'm glad you asked that question because there was, in fact, someone who lived that way. Open your Bibles back up to the second chapter. Look in verse 5. They'll put it on the screen. Paul continues by saying, Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave becoming human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He did not claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death, a crucifixion. Let me offer you these three statements and then we're done. When we look at the life of Jesus, here's what we see. Instead of protecting his status as the Son of God and his place in heaven's throne, Jesus gave it up because there was a greater cause at work. Your salvation and mine. Instead of trying to use his power to make a name for himself, he became a humble servant. He never sought the limelight. In fact, he ran from the limelight. But he spent his life healing, loving, and helping other people with no personal gain. Instead of letting his disciples fight for him at the end, he reminds them, I've got the power to call down angels from heaven. But there is something more important than my well-being that is at stake right now. Come on, Brother Jerome. Listen, Listen very carefully for the next 30 seconds. He died so you wouldn't have to. He was beaten with stripes on his back so you wouldn't have to. He was crucified and nailed to the cross so that you wouldn't have to. It's why I say he doesn't need us to do anything for him. He's already done it. He just wants you and me to be examples in the world. So when you go to work in the morning, when you go to school, 
when you go to the grocery store or you go to the bank or you go to get the oil changed, represent Jesus. Live the kind of life that say, wow, if Jesus can do that for them, what can Jesus do for me? A young woman walked into this church a few weeks ago. She stood right there. She prayed a sinner's prayer with me. She told me that for nine years she had been chasing contentment at the end of a needle and she could not find it. She saw a young man in our church that she knew who approached him she said I heard what happened to you that's what I heard see God did not save you so that you could just avoid going to hell he did not die on the cross just so you could be saved he died on the cross so everybody that's your uncle your niece that's your hunting buddy your golfing buddy the girl across the desk from you the person who waits on you that fixes your hair that does your nails that changes the tires on your car everywhere you go everything that you do you represent the witness of a man or a woman Saved. Saved. So as we've said every week, we're not just about coming here and listening to three points in a poem. We want to we move closer. We want to make decisions that move us closer. Last week I gave you some homework and I'm going to give you some more. So it's going to be on the screen. Put all three of them up if you would at the same time. Here they are. Are you living the life that you believe God wants you to live with regard to your relationship to other believers? Are you sure you're living the life that you're supposed to live in relationship to the people in this room? Which leads to the second one. Is there a hard conversation that you need to have with someone today? Here, here's something I'm going to offer you. Because I think that there are probably some hard conversations you've been running from a long time. You need to settle some scores. You need to get some stuff off your chest. You need to do it in a godly way, but you've got to have that hard conversation. And I don't know why I felt this way this morning, but I just penciled in here this advice to all of us. If you want to say it, you probably shouldn't say it. But if you don't want to say it, you probably should. Here's the last one. Can unbelievers see Jesus Christ demonstrated in the way that you interact with them? In the book of Acts, 
when the disciples stood before the religious leaders, the Bible said they took notice of them. That they had been with Jesus. Is anybody saying that about you? Anybody saying that about me? When we walk away from that, that encounter, that experience, is anybody going, wow, I want to be like that girl. She's been with Jesus. I want to be that kind of mom, that kind of dad, because they've been with Jesus. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I'm grateful this morning that in a crazy world with so much upheaval, you have called each and every one of us to be lights in a dark place. To live the kind of lives that bring glory and honor to the name of Christ. And I thank you today for your word. Now I pray, Heavenly Father, that your word will not only just be heard, but it will penetrate us. It will be embraced into our spirit that we will do something this week with what we have heard. Let us not just be hearers, but let us be doers. I pray, Lord, for our precious people, for your grace and strength to be upon them today as they live for you in this Crazy. In Jesus' name. Your heads are bowed just a moment more. Thank you for just honoring that, just keeping your head bowed and your eyes closed just one more moment. I want to give this opportunity if there is anybody in this room that you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You hear me talking about being a believer and representing and you realize you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I want to encourage you today to make that decision. Jesus did die for you and he died so that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty for your own sin. But that if you are willing and you accept that Jesus died for your sin and you tell God that you are sorry for your sins, he will forgive you. You can be saved. If you're in this room today and you don't know Christ and you would like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, lift up your hand right where you are. Lift up your hand right where you are. I would love to pray a sinner's prayer with you today. Don't leave this place unprepared to meet God. you're sitting here this morning and you say pastor I needed this message today there's some stuff in me that God is at work and, and I need I need to press on hold up your hand right where you are hold up your hand God bless you yeah yeah God bless you it's good to admit I got some stuff in me I got my hand up I got some spaces in my life that need God bless you Yes. I want you to know the Lord loves you. He wanted you to hear this message today. He wanted you to be here so that you could know He 
He's counting on you to be his witness in this world today. Father, thank you for every hand that was raised, every person who honestly and sincerely said, I need help. I need the Lord to help me. I pray, Father, now that you will help them, that this week will be that pivot point, that turning point that helps them to move closer to you. We believe you for that today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.